Hi there, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, The Temptation of Jesus, is from 26 January 2020. The scripture is Luke 4, 1 through 13. Thank you for listening, and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And on the subject of Thanksgiving, I put it in the bulletin, but I just want to say it out loud. Thank you all for being yourselves. Uh, Last weekend, my family was here from West Virginia, and uh, you opened your arms to them. You welcomed them. They They were overwhelmingly blessed by the love and the grace Uh, that you showed them while they were here. Uh, I am beyond grateful for the opportunity to serve uh, amongst such wonderful people. And we are just, we're excited, Katie and I, to see what God is doing in our midst and just blessed to be here. So again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you will turn in your text or poke at your phones or however you uh, get God's word into your life this morning, look at the screen, etc. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, and we are at the culmination of our time uh, learning about growing with Jesus as, as Jesus grew into himself and we are seeing the, the final scene before Jesus' uh, debut in public ministry. And so this is Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Cosmo Kramer had been saving money at the driving range by hitting golf balls into the ocean. George Costanza was trying to woo a young woman by telling her that he was a marine biologist. And so begins the premise of my favorite episode of Seinfeld, 
the marine biologist. The episode plays out with with George telling these increasing stories to this young lady that, that he's trying to impress until one day they're walking along the beach. George is not a marine biologist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but he's walking along the beach with this young lady and there is a whale that has washed ashore. And suddenly, the young lady says, well, George, aren't you going to do something about it? Well, it's put up or shut up time for George Costanza. And so after a moment of thought, he takes off his hat and he throws it on the beach and he stomps off towards the whale. And later on, as he's recounting the story in the coffee house, he talks about how a mighty wave lifted him up on top of the whale, eye to eye with his blowhole, and he reached his hand in and he pulled out a golf ball that Kramer had hit into the ocean. And Kramer says, a Titleist, and takes the golf ball and acts like nothing has ever happened. There, there are times in our lives that are put up or shut up times that we have claimed to be something and we have to follow through on it. And sometimes we have made checks that we can't cash. We have made checks with our mouths that we cannot cash with our actions. And those times are very, very uncomfortable for us. As we've watched Jesus grow these past few weeks, we take it for granted that, that as Jesus grew, he grew into his identity as the Son of God. That Jesus knew the whole time who he was, that he was 100% human and 100% God, but nonetheless, he had to learn what it meant to live that way. And in the same way, we learn what it means. We, we hear the call of Jesus to salvation, to make Jesus our Lord, to let Jesus be in control of our lives, for Jesus to be our Savior, for Jesus to allow Jesus to rescue us from those sins and bondages and, and things that we have gotten ourselves into. But we grow into it. It takes a while for us to grasp this identity, but at some point, there will be a moment when we have to decide who we are. We have to decide who we belong to. Jesus was hailed in the temple by two people who had been waiting their whole lives to see the salvation of God, and there it was as a baby. Jesus stayed behind in the temple after one Passover celebration so that he could learn from the teachers about what it meant to be the Son of God walking in the ways of the world. And Jesus embraces his calling and his baptism. And it's all well and good. But it's going to get put to the test. Just like all of us are going to get put to the test. Because temptation comes into all of our lives. There are all of those moments, we all have them, 
where we know what the right thing to do is. And there's another option that is presented to us as well. And now we have a choice. Are we going to follow the ways that we know are good and right and lead to life? Or are we going to roll the dice and follow the ways that lead to death? Jesus prepared 40 days for this. Now, I've talked in the, in the past few weeks about a few of the things that Luke uses in his gospel. We've talked about typology, where we see Jesus kind of in a certain role as somebody from the Old Testament. We've talked about great reversals, where you expect one thing and get another. You expect God to send his salvation as a mighty conquering king, and instead you get a baby being born to a teenage, unwed teenage mother. And so the last thing in Luke, the last thing in Luke that we're going to look at is fulfillment. We're going to look at the fulfillment of God's people Israel. Forty years, the Israelites wandered in the desert. They had been delivered from Egypt by the, the mighty hand of God. They were slaves in Egypt. They were making bricks. They were oppressed. They were beaten. And they cry out to God. God uses Moses and Aaron and Miriam and leads them out of Egypt through miracles and signs and wonders and displays of his mighty power. But then they get to the desert. And it's not easy anymore. Because now there's no like clear and obvious goal. Yes, it's to, to get to the, the land that God has promised their ancestors. But in the meantime, they have to stop and ask the question, how do we worship God? How do we live as God's people? And they start to get anxious. And then they start to worship other gods. Moses is up getting the law from God on the mountain. And meanwhile, the people are at the bottom making a golden calf that they can worship instead. So the Israelites have to wander in the desert. God says, I, I cannot put up with this disobedience. And he sends them on a, a wandering path for 40 years. In the meantime, all of the temptations that we see Jesus facing, they failed. But Jesus fulfills. The Israelites cried out for bread and they got grumpy about not having enough food. Jesus is content to trust that God's going to provide for him at the right time. The Israelites wanted to be powerful. They wanted to, to have the same sort of gods and, and confidence that comes in having a, a God that you can look at and point to and say, it's right there, even if it is just a statue. They wanted that like the neighboring tribes around them had. 
And so they, they would at times trade in their worship of, of the one true living God for the statue. And they would test God. They would say, you know, okay, God, if you're, if you're real, if you are who you say you are, you, you got to show us something. You got to give us a little sign here. You got to give us a little help. And they were constantly kind of wrestling, going back and forth with God. But here's Jesus facing the 40 days that represent those 40 years, and he's going to fulfill in himself what God's people, Israel, could not so that he can make a new way for humanity. As we look at Jesus's dealings with temptation, we also have to look at our lives and how we deal with our temptation. Because not all of our temptation is public. Jesus wasn't in the public eye when any of this happened. This was not in Jerusalem. This was not at the Jordan River with everybody else. This was in the wilderness where no one else was around. Jesus fought these battles privately. And there's a great temptation for followers of Jesus to think that you can live however you want to privately as long as you look okay publicly. It just isn't so. And we see that through Jesus' trials and temptations here. How we deal with temptation privately will affect our identity publicly. It will every time. The truth comes out. The bill comes due. We are shaped and formed by the decisions that we make. They can either point us towards life or they can point us towards death. We look at the temptation of bread. And Jesus is hungry. And so a loaf of bread looks pretty good to him. Even when I'm not hungry, a loaf of bread looks pretty good to me. I mean, I love bread. Bread's great. Katie and I were out to dinner the other night, and the server said, would you like more bread? And Katie said, if you keep bringing me bread, I will keep eating it. Bread is delicious, and it was warm, and it was fluffy, and, and it was well-proved, like you could poke at it, and it would bounce. It was, it was very nice. It was good bread. And especially if you've not eaten for 40 days, moldy bread would look good to you. Any bread would look good to you. And the, the devil says, you know what? Go ahead and, go ahead and turn this rock into, into some bread. But this isn't just a battle about hunger. This is a question of do we trust God to provide for our needs or do we try to take care of ourselves because we're afraid that God's provision is scarce? Jesus needed the faith that God was going to provide for him at some point. And if we have faith that God is going to provide for us, then the allure of wealth and hoarding and, and holding on to things so tight in our world starts to dim. 
There was a, a, a wealthy young man who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell all you have and give it to the poor because the young man's hope was in his money. It was not in God. It was in his money. And we live in a world whose hope is in money. People, people's moods can rise and fall with the stock market. And I'll admit, I'm in a lot better mood when I don't have to pay so much for gas as when I have to pay more for gas. But yet, I have to trust that God is going to provide for the things that I need. And I have to understand that the, the wealth that God gives me, great or small, is not for my personal enjoyment, not to cling on to as if it's the thing that sustains me. It's to understand that God has given me this to do my very best with. God will provide for our needs if we trust. But if we're not trusting that God will provide for our needs then we're going to make all sorts of terrible decisions that will come at the cost of other people. We will start to prioritize our well-being over the well-being of other people. We'll do this individually. We'll do this collectively as a, as a neighborhood or a town or, or, or a community. And you can, you can see in many different ways how hoarding wealth takes away from other people. But the Lord has enough if we have faith. And eventually we see that the Lord provided for Jesus. And Jesus got to eat. The second temptation. In Luke, it's the second temptation. In Matthew, it's the third temptation. But the second temptation is power. The devil takes Jesus up and he says something very surprising. He says he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And at that time, Rome was like the heavy hitter. And he shows them the mightiest kingdoms of the world and says, all these I can give to you. All of these kingdoms I can offer you if you'll just bow down and worship me. If you'll give me your allegiance, I will give you power. But this isn't simply a question of power, is it? Many people in our world would take that offer. If the devil offered them all of the power... They'd take it. They'd take it in a heartbeat. But who do you become if you take power from the devil? Do you want to be the children of God or do you want to be the children of the devil? Because the children of the, the, children of the true living God, the God who raised Jesus from the dead and brought Israel out of Egypt, has a different set of priorities than the devil. And when we live out the priorities of the devil, we can have power. Because the devil says he's got power to give. 
He's not all powerful, but he's incredibly manipulative. And he's got the kingdoms of earth, he says here, right where he wants them, in his hand that he can offer to Jesus. And when we're willing to take that offer of power, snatched, gained, for our own personal will, it turns us into a certain type of person. And we have to align ourselves with things that are not the ways of God. That's what's messy about partisan politics, isn't it? It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you sit on. If you identify yourself by one side, by Democrat or Republican, at some point you're going to have to go along with some things that don't look like the ways of the kingdom. But Jesus knows that the way to life is to align yourself with the person who's going to have power at the end. Because Jesus knows that that power Satan offers is thin, it's fake, it's frail, and it's temporary. It may seem appealing now, but it will not last the ways of the kingdom last forever. They don't look much like power in this world because the ways of the kingdom often require us to give up what looks like worldly power. It means caring for the people that the world have cast away. It means instead of being a top-down leader who's Word is law. It means discerning together what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And so are we going to be known by children of God, by being children of God or children of the devil? The third temptation, Satan shows Jesus and we're not sure how these things happen. But Jesus is, is at the, the pinnacle, the peak of the temple. And Satan says, jump. Now what's interesting here is Satan, at this point, uses scripture. Jesus has been pushing back against Satan with scripture. And last week at the end, this is the little things that just annoy me. I said Jesus used scripture as a weapon. And then all afternoon, after we got back, like we're driving to Multnomah Falls after church. And I'm driving going there. I can't believe I said that. That's not right. Just like a few minutes ago, I said that Mary was an unwed mother. And that's not right either. And I've been kicking myself in the back of my mind ever since. Welcome to the inner workings of John's mind. It's a silly place here. And a lot of guilt, surprisingly. But Jesus doesn't use scripture as a weapon. He uses it as a shield. And he says, I'm not going to buy what you're selling because I know what the truth is. And interestingly, the scripture that Jesus quotes back to Satan all comes from the book of Deuteronomy. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Why did he quote from the book of Deuteronomy, and why should I care? Because this is Mo- Deuteronomy is Moses' speech to God's people as they get ready to cross into the promised land. Jesus is quoting from the book that says salvation is coming if you remain faithful to God. Jesus knows what he's doing. The devil's playing checkers. Jesus is playing chess. Jesus has got this. And so the devil tries to quote scripture at Jesus. He tries to speak to Jesus with the voice of God. How many times have you been tired? Have you been hungry? Have you been anxious and lonely? And you make a bad decision because of all of that? Because something seems like it's an authority to you? And then... You, you, you just don't make a very good decision. That's what happened to Jesus here. He's hungry. He's lonely. He's tired. And Satan tries to speak to him with the voice of God. And even in that state, Jesus says, no. Because the question comes down to this. Are we going to trust the leading of God Are we going to trust that to follow God, we sometimes will have to suffer on God's schedule and not ours? Or are we going to demand that God blesses our own plans? Both the devil's plan and what Jesus' ultimate destiny was Involves suffering, potentially. Satan said, jump off the roof of the temple. God will catch you. The people in the crowd said, you know, why not just call the angels down to get you off the cross? Either way, Satan also knows a kernel of truth about Jesus' life and about our lives as followers of Jesus. Is that suffering's going to come. Pain is going to come. But are we going to trust that on the other side, as followers of Jesus, on other side of pain is rescue, on the other side of death is resurrection, or are we going to try to take matters into our own hands and just hope God says, all right, I got this, Because a lot of times we just want God to go along with what we want, don't we? We have our plans. We just want God to say, yep, good job. You, you keep, keep that up. Keep up the good work. I, I'll stay over here. You seem to have gotten this. But what God says is, if you follow my ways, yes, you'll suffer. But I'm going to take care of it. I am going to rescue you. I am going to resurrect you. I'm going to bring this back around. And so Jesus masters the temptations and shows that, yes, he is the son of God. But what do we do about our temptations? I think we look at Jesus' example of complete and total trust in God. When we're tempted, we look to God. 
we realize that our identity as children of God is greater than any other identity we hold in this world. And we cling to that. We cling to that for dear life. We know scripture. We know what God's ways are so that when something comes up that's contrary to God's ways, we can immediately go against it. We know what the right way is so we don't have to worry about whether the wrong way might be the right way. But we're going to fail as humans, aren't we? And we also have to trust that no failure is irredeemable or irreparable. That God's grace is big enough to redeem us from our darkest problems. We may have to pay the consequences. We may have to answer for what we have done. But we are loved and forgiven and restored in our failings. And this morning, if you have something that you have failed at, that you're still kicking yourself about, that you feel like God can't redeem in your life, God can. Temptation can be overcome, but it's going to keep coming because it doesn't say that Satan gave up and went and watched Netflix. It said that Satan waited the, the New Revised Standard Translation says, for a more opportune time. He thought he was going to catch Jesus again. That's why we have to be ready, friends. We have to know the love of God and know that God loves us, but we ready to face temptation. Amen.